Luke 4, 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we had heard that day that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman from Syrian." All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The word of the Lord. All right, here we go. Let me pray for us, Lord. Um, teach us now, Holy Spirit. Uh, May our hearts uh, be sensitive and uh, attuned to what you want to say. Um, we know that, uh, that the words often that you have for us, um, we can't receive them unless you're, you're allowing our hearts to do that. So uh, would you do that, uh, Lord? Show us, uh, show us ourselves, show us you uh, clearly this morning. Um, and may that lead us to a place of profound gratitude and worship. Uh, we pray for that in your name. Amen. All right. Have a seat. So what, what, makes, you, what makes you lose your temper? Like, there are plenty of us in here who are, who are way too proud to show how just furious we are on the inside. Uh, we're, we're passive aggressive people, not aggressive aggressive people. Um, but what, what causes wild swings and changes in your behavior, in your attitude, in your outlook? Let's just talk about that this morning, about y'all. Kidding. Everybody's like, are you, is that a rhetorical question right now that you're asking me? Let me tell you for me what, what it is. Uh, when what I desire, when what I expect, when what I demand, 
um, when what I believe should happen, like when you bump into my entitlement, uh, when all of that, when I expect a desire and demand, what I believe should happen isn't happening, that's when, whether it makes its way to the outside, on the inside, I start to boil. When my idea of how my life or things in my life should be going and what I want isn't happening how I want it to. And it, and it especially happens when someone I hoped, who, who I believed that person is the one who's going to deliver on what I hoped they didn't. Like, I took my kids the other day to see, the boys, to see a movie. And uh, we got there early, right? And I was like, this is great. We're going to get there early, and we'll have time to, like, get our concessions. And we walked in, and the concessions line, it was like I opened the door to the theater. I was like, oh. And it's because every concessions line was almost outside. And we stood in line. I stood in line for almost 40 minutes to get popcorn. No, you feel the rage inside of you right now? <laughs> I had to send them into the movie. I missed the first part of the movie. And here's what happened. I went from, as I'm driving in, like, oh, this is so great, you know, me and the boys getting to see something, to like, by the time I sat down in the theater seat, I literally, if, if the internal Dave would have come out, out of like hulked on that theater and like torn the screen down, right? I went from total anticipation and enjoyment to total enraged. And this is where we find the, the people of Nazareth at the end of the story that Catherine just read for us when Jesus goes back to his hometown. This is how Luke, uh, apart from the, the birth and genealogy stuff, this is how Luke, who is an author, and an author has an intent, right? Like I'm trying to start and introduce a character to you, somebody that I want you to know about, and his authorial intent is saying, I'm going to introduce the person of Jesus. Meet Jesus. I want you to meet him. I'm writing an orderly account that is trying to create certainty about who he is. That's how he opens Luke. Theophilus, I'm writing to you this way, this orderly account, so you know exactly who he is. This is how Luke wants to introduce Jesus to us. He's starting his public ministry. This is... His launch part, this is his Kickstarter, right? This is Jesus' Kickstarter moment. And it seems like in the beginning of this account, we'll walk through it here in a second, everything's good, right? Everything's going good, everybody's feeling good, until they aren't. Why does Jesus, and Luke in particular, and saying, I was with him, and, and this is what this is about, this is who he's about, why does Jesus choose right at the outset to light the fuse of his ministry in this way? Because this is not, uh, if you've been to a water park, this is not like Jesus handing out inner tubes at the lazy river, right? This is that, that water slide where you're up in the tube and the, and the floor drops out of it, right? Ah! Here we go! We're on a water slide! That's what's going on here. Three things as we start Luke and as we look at how Luke starts introducing us to Jesus. One is this, Jesus' unwavering purpose and mission. 
Jesus' unwavering purpose and mission. Secondly, and we'll see it through them, and it's for us, our unseen problem. Jesus' unwavering purpose, our unseen problem, and then lastly, his persistence in the face of our resistance. Okay? Welcome to church. (laughs) No, this is good. Jesus' unwavering purpose. You've, you've heard it said, we've all, we, we live by this in many ways, that you never get a second chance to make a first impression, right? That's pretty true, isn't it? You know, that first impressions, they, they matter. They have an effect. I have plenty of artist friends. I mean, I, I kind of nudged at the Kickstarter there. I have plenty of artist friends who are nervous on their release day for their work, Right? or whether that's a job interview, or whether that's a, a first date, or a, you know, something new in your life. There's a nervous anticipation to that. How will I be, or what I have done, be received by those around me? And if we, if we just kind of go back through 14 through 22, you know, he returns to Galilee, you know. I don't know when is it like totally appropriate to go play your hometown, Seems a little early, um, but, man, y'all need to lighten up. (laughs) How many more jokes do I need to tell for everybody to kind of... In the power of the Spirit, right? He's just been, and we'll, we'll study this next week, he's just been tempted by the devil, by the way. He returns in the power of the Spirit, news about him spread through the countryside. He's teaching in the synagogues, everybody's praising him. You know, it's, it's going well. He's got power. He's just resisted the devil, and he's about to resist the devil in them. But he's in, he's in a power position. He's got good press. Everybody's praising him. He's headed to his hometown. He's going to the synagogue where he's known. It said there that it was his custom to go there. This would have been the center of kind of the religious and cultural life for the Jewish people. And he gets up, you know, he asks, if, if you know about these worship services, he would have asked somebody to read. And he gets up and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he unrolls it and he finds this place and he reads this passage of scripture that would have sparked the prophetic imagination of every person listening to it. Every Jewish person would have known about this passage, you know. He wasn't like dipping into the mold laws of Leviticus, which they probably would have known about that too. But what I'm saying is like, oh my goodness, this is the passage that he's deciding to read from. I'm here to bring good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that passage, I mean... It's really a mashup of Isaiah 61 and 58, so Luke, I guess, gets the uh, reward for having the first mashup recorded, right? (laughs) But he's mashing these two passages. Jesus is doing that. He probably read the full accounts of both of them, they think. But he's mashing these two up for us to say, this is Jesus' purpose and this is Jesus' mission. Good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, 
recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, mic drop, and he sits down and it says there that the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. So like he's in the catbird seat right now, right? Everybody is literally like, okay, what, what's going to happen next? And what does he say? Today, what I just read, that scripture, is fulfilled in your hearing. It's fulfilled in me. And what does it say? All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Everyone's speaking well. Everyone's amazed. You know, his Kickstarter's at like 90%, right? He needs to send one more email out to kind of get over the hump. It's going well. And yet, you hear this little bit of it creeping in. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Uh, isn't this Joseph's son? I'm asking you, this will be fun for you who are in small groups because this will be a fantastic discussion, to imagine yourself into this moment. There's this sense of, of this, this Jesus who grew up in this town. I mean, were his elementary school teachers there, you know, listening to this? A little bit of, uh, can you believe that our, you know, our little Jesus is, is the one? He's the one who's, who's going to come and do all this for us. And yet, I can feel for these people. I am these people. There, there's a sense of, of anticipation, excitement, delight, and yet, just, just a sliver at least, maybe more, we'll see in a second, a lot more, doubt. Suspicion. These people are hearing this from Jesus. Jesus, I mean, he's basically doing a prophetic work here by reading from a prophetic scroll and saying this to them. These people, if you remember, I mean, this is coming off of almost 400 years of prophetic silence. 400 years of just going to the synagogue. Next day, next week. And as a prophet, if you know anything about the prophets, all of the prophets towards the end of the Old Testament, they're all prophesying about a handful of things, but mostly it can be kind of summed up in this. God's faithfulness to his people and to his purpose and to what he has said he has come to do and Israel's unfaithfulness and rejection of him. I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to do what I said I came to do and Israel, you, you, you stiff-armed me, and you stiff-armed me, and you stiff-armed me. It's been 400 years since they've heard from a prophet. And 400 years, I mean, not this entire time, but at this point in their history, they are, they're kind of suffering under Roman rule and Roman oppression. They've been waiting for a long time in really difficult circumstances. And so it's completely understandable That the people hearing this of this day would have heard this and thought, is this the chance? Is this it? 
the chance for us to come out from underneath all of the difficulty. The chance for us to come out from underneath all of the hardship. Is this our national moment, right? Time for us to have ours. This is the year of the Lord's favor. By bringing that, that into this moment, by reading that from Isaiah, what that is, is that's hearkening back to Leviticus 25, which was the year of Jubilee, where all debts are canceled, where all work is ceased, where all wrongs are righted. And when Jesus stands up and he reads this, and then he rolls it up and he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, it is so understandable and so easy for them to be in a place of, now's the time, and he's the one. But not just now and him, but how. We see it play itself out here. Not, not just now's the time, and not just he's the one, but how. We have, they had, <laughs> clearly, and I would argue we, I. I'll, I'll use an I statement so you guys don't have to feel insecure. I have an idea of what that should look like. Jesus makes promises to me or makes statements about what he's going to do. And I populate his promises with my ideas of what that should look like and how that should look like and when that should look like. If, you're, if you have children, if not, you've done this to your parents. So we're all in the same boat. Have you ever been held hostage by your kids when they say, but you said? Raise your hand if you've done that to your to your parents, or that's been done to you this morning. <laughs> but you said, right? I can't tell you how many times my kids say that to me. And, and the reality is I know this as their parent. I, I might have said that, but I also said more than that. And you've got a selective way of hearing what I say and then deciding what I meant about what I said, and then holding me hostage to your interpretation of what you thought I said to you. Now's the time. He's the one. And we know exactly how that should look. And like Israel, like the Jews here, for me, I almost always start externally. Versus internally. Like the change that I want to see in my life, it's a societal change, it's a circumstantial change, it's, it's something out there around me that I want to be different, but rarely do I want the change to start here, with me, in me. I want social and circumstantial revolution, but I don't want internal spiritual change. Because the, the God-honest truth is, is if, if the internal spiritual change happened, I may not even want the same things on the outside. 
change everything around us rather than change me. It's why they, he, he kind of begins to call them on it. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you've done in Capernaum. Your word about you and who you are and what you're, you're coming to do and how you want to unfold that, it's not good enough. Perform. Your word isn't enough. Perform for me. And Jesus, thank God, <laughs> knows his unwavering purpose. And what he's saying to them right out the gate is, is I know my identity. This is not my Kickstarter where if you don't like approve of me enough, I'll, I don't get to do what I'm going to do. Like, it's a hard question what I'm saying to us right now. Is um, you believing in me? And Jesus is almost saying it like this. You believing in me doesn't make me me. I am me. Do you want to know me? Because I know my purpose, and it doesn't come from your view of me. It doesn't come from your approval of me. It doesn't come from your likes, your ideas, your agendas. I am under the influence of a different spirit. Remember? He returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. And he says when he quotes Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me. I'm under the influence of the spirit of the Lord instead of being under the influence of what scripture says a bunch of different ways, but is the spirit of the age. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them once time, one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like, <clears throat> like the rest, by nature we were deserved wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. In Christ Jesus. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying you're, you're under the influence of some spirit. You're not free. You're either under the influence of the spirit of the Lord or the spirit of the age. It's one or the other. And if you're going to be under the influence of the spirit of the Lord, because of his great love for us, his rich mercy, he has to make you alive to something that you are dead to, and that's him. He's saying you got the mind of the world. And I'm here to bring a new kingdom. And for you to live in that new kingdom, you're going to need my heart and my spirit. And so I am unwavering in my commitment to give that to you. His unwavering commitment exposes their unseen problem, our unseen problem. Point two. The mission of Jesus um, is this, that he came to meet our deepest needs, our deepest blindness, our deepest form of oppression, our deepest imprisonment. And he's inviting them and consequently us to ask, are our deepest needs, our deepest blindnesses, and our deepest oppressions what we think they are? Like he's saying, I'm bringing about the, the year of the Lord's favor, but in many ways, uh, 
His, his favor is probably going to make you angry, at least at first. So if you're a little bit angry right now, good. If you're indifferent right now, you should be afraid. But if there's a little party, it's like, oh, man. That's, that's a good thing. It's like getting a fever, right? Like you got to get a fever to break the fever to get the virus out. And he's saying, if you're feeling a little angry, it's okay. Because I'm calling you, I'm calling us out of our ideas about him that have nothing to do with him. They have nothing to do with his agenda. They have nothing to do with his will. And he's saying, I've got to give you a new heart and a new spirit so that you can be under the spirit of the Lord. Because if not, you're under the spirit of things that aren't the things that I'm about Like, it's only good news to the poor, right, if you actually believe you're poor. It's like seeing something on TV about, like, a vaccine over in China or something. It's like, that's great, but I'm not sick. I mean, that's, that's kind of wonderful for them, but that doesn't really move the needle for me because I'm not, I'm not sick like they are, right? It's only good news... For people who need good news to counteract the bad news. Right? That's why if you come to explore Midtown, we'll talk about the cross chart. Your, your view of God's goodness and love can only grow in your understanding of your own sin and your own need. He doesn't take you into your sin to shame you. He takes you into your sin to understand how great his mercy is. How great his love is. It's only good news if you have the need for good news. Sight only matters to those who know they're actually blind. And he forecasts their rejection because he's saying apart from a spiritual miracle, just going to the synagogue and working the religious hamster wheel, it is not going to do it. Your heart is not in line with mine and you do not see your brokenness, your sin, and your need. I'm here for your deepest needs. I'm here for your deepest blindness. I'm here for your deepest oppression, and it's probably not what you think it is, and it's not your circumstances. Think about this for a second. Why did he go to his hometown? You ever go back to your hometown and have a hard time not acting like you were when you were in high school. It's tough, isn't it? Even around your parents, right? Some of you live lives that are completely different when you're in your home, and then when you go to your parents' home, you go back and kind of live like you're one of their kids still, right? So no one struggles with this. <laughs> I get, we don't get an answer in Scripture, why he does this. So you just go with my sanctified imagination, hopefully. (laughs) Those old pathways, those old selves, they're not all bad. There's some good and some truth in it, but some of it's not, right? And it's almost like he's saying, I'm going to start by going to the place where I was raised, where I, you know, was affected and shaped, (laughs) place that I've been, you know, since birth. And I'm, I'm going here to definitively stand up to my hometown. 
to my hometown values, to my hometown's ways that they interpret the year of the Lord's favor and, and all of this stuff. I'm going right into the heart of it to live into what we were studying in John 17 when he says, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart so that they too can be truly sanctified by the truth. And I'm going right into the heart of the lion's den of my family history. And I'm putting a flag down and saying this, I follow the will of the Father alone. That's my allegiance. It isn't to you. It's to the Father's will. And this is what I know about the Father's will. His commitment is to you and to your best. He's saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And if I, don't, if I don't help you see this, it's not being a good dad to you. It's not being a good father to you. It's not loving you. Our problem, my problem, many days is this. I, I will not worship a Jesus as he reveals himself. I will not worship Jesus as he shows himself in his word to me. I want to worship a God of my own imagination. I don't want to worship him on his terms or receive him on his terms. And I also don't want to see myself as he sees me. I want Jesus to love me for all the reasons that I love myself and I want everyone else to love me. And he's saying, that's not why I love you. And I'm not going to love you that way. I'm not going to cheapen my love for you by loving you for the reasons you love yourself or you want everyone else to love you. I want to worship a Jesus of my own imagination and I want to fill in God's promises with my details rather than have God fill my subconscious, fill my heart and my mind with his truth and his spirit. The problem is that the Jewish people in this moment, <laughs> they have no ability to see themselves in any of the metaphors he just lays out. I'm not poor. I'm not a prisoner. I, I've got sight. I'm not, I'm not oppressed. I'm free. And it amazed me that after... After doing this and after Jesus, we'll, we'll get into this widow of Zarephath and, and Naaman here in a second, there was no follow-up questions like, hmm, tell me more about this. I mean, I'm obviously not understanding what you're saying, right? They just walk him to the cliff. They move from hyped to hate. And I get it. <laughs> I hate Jesus exposing not only how much I need him, but how much I'm resisting his will and I'm opting for my own. Because he's effectively saying to this group of people, what you call riches, I call poor. What you call sight, I call blind. What you call freedom, I see a prison. And I'm offending you like wounds from a friend, Proverbs says, can be trusted. I am wounding you right now to set you free. 
So remember, Scripture says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, right? <laughs> it's His kindness. It's His grace to show them how deep the prison is of their own sin and their own commitment to their own agenda. Like I went this week for a, um, a physical. <laughs> Wonderful. 45, here I come. It's all, it's just playing for the tie at this age, y'all, right? It's all, y'all get that joke? No? <laughs> wow. It's been a little too heavy this morning, maybe. So he asks me, my doctor says, um, would you be willing to go get a CT scan for your chest? He said, it's something new that we're doing where they basically can read your chest with some form of an x-ray to show you if you have pre-cardiovascular issues like plaque in your veins. And he's explaining this to me. He's like, you know, you're this age. Probably stuff like this wouldn't show up till so-and-so. But, you know, it's good. Kind of get out ahead of it. You know, know what, what's going on inside of your veins. And it was funny because I sat there and thought, do I really want to know? Like, if I have pre-cardiovascular, if I have heart disease, wouldn't it kind of just be fun to not know and just kind of live in ignorance? (laughs) I I don't really want to change how I eat. I don't really want to change how I live. I feel like I give up enough stuff. You know, ignorance isn't bliss, it's ignorance. And it's dangerous. And yet, like Jesus, I'm sitting there saying, like these people, I'm not sure I want to know how deep the problem is. I'd just kind of rather keep going, you know, do the synagogue thing. And it's his kindness that's showing them and showing us, I love you too much to give you just what you think you want right now. Because you don't even know or understand the depth of your heart's desire and the depth of what I've promised you. I've made your heart. I've created it. I've put those desires there, and I am going to fulfill that in my time and in my way. But it's way deeper than a different temporary government to live under or the glory of you getting to rule yourself. And how he does this is he brings up these two stories. I mean, this is Jesus, like, this is not Lazy River, y'all, like I said. I mean, he is pulling the floor out on them. Like a prophet, like a boss, right? (laughs) Sorry, did I literally just quote? I don't even know who sings that. I mean, he doesn't soft sell. This is a hard one for me this week. I'm like, you know, we all want a doctor with a good bedside manner, right? It doesn't seem, sometimes I should wonder, like, if Jesus doesn't seem so concerned about kid gloves, why am I? Like, Lane handed me this cookbook the other day. Jessica Seinfeld had made it, I guess. My wife has it, about hiding, like, broccoli in brownies. It's like, your kids don't want to eat what's good for them, so, like, fake them out. Jesus is not putting broccoli in brownies here. Like, he's given you steamed, unsalted broccoli. 
And he seems completely content to do that. I don't like that Jesus, right? I want my Brussels sprouts that taste like bacon, right? (laughs) But Jesus isn't interested in me worshiping a God of my own imagination. Who's the widow of Zarephath and who's Naaman? You know, he says, I tell you, a prophet's not accepted in his hometown. There were many widows in Israel at Elijah's time. The sky was shut for three and a half years, so difficulty, severe famine. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to the widow of Zarephath. Talks about this guy Naaman who had leprosy under Elijah's time. Who's Naaman? Who's the widow? Without going in, go read 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 5. Who were these people? Um, they were people that God utterly rescued for them from, from <laughs> God utterly rescued from their total inability to rescue themselves. They were Gentiles, which meant they were outside of the Jewish nation, which would have made the Jewish people angry just at their names being mentioned. They're enemies of God's by being Gentiles in the eyes of the Jews, and they're enemies who end up coming to faith. In God, the widow and Naaman are people who God rescued from their total inability to rescue themselves. The widow was, when, he, when Elijah meets her, she's baking her last meal with her last bit of bread and, or sorry, flour and oil. And it says, so her and her son can die. She's that desperate. And her son later dies and Elijah actually has to raise him and praise to God to raise him from the dead. Resurrection in the Old Testament. Starving and needing raised from the dead. Naaman was a Syrian general who was a completely opposed to God, who has leprosy. And even when Elijah gives him like, this is what you need to do, he still resists him. He says, I'm not going to do that. And finally goes and does it and he's healed. So when Jesus says, to them, physician, heal yourself, or a prophet doesn't have any honor in his hometown, and he uses these examples. He's calling them on the carpet to their own blindness, to their own need, to their own prison. And he's calling them on their interior pride. Because what we see in them is this, don't compare us to these Gentiles. When he finishes, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill to throw him off the cliff. They're effectively saying, we are the good, respectable, church-going citizens of Nazareth. Don't tell me what I need. Don't tell me, don't, tell, don't show me the CT scan that shows the plaque in my heart. I'd rather just live ignorant to that. And Jesus is saying, I love you too much to not show you that scan. You're blind. You're trapped. You need healed, and it's just as bad as the Gentiles. And I'm here to heal you of your deepest brokenness. And that's a brokenness that's older than 400 years of prophetic silence. It's a brokenness since the fall, since the garden. I've come to heal you of your commitment of being your own God. I'm here to give you a new spirit and a new heart so you can actually pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, instead of the prayer that I pray many days, which is this 
my kingdom come, my will be done on earth, and I'll call this heaven. Jesus is showing them, you think you're worshiping me in spirit and in truth, but you're not. I'm the Lord. I see what you don't see, and I know you don't see how I see. And if you want to see how I see, if you want to worship me as I am, not as you imagine me to be, then your view of you, it needs to go down. Let me just give you a caveat. I'm not talking about shame here. He's not shaming them because, you know, you've heard me say enough, shame is pride's cloak, right? I'm talking about humility here. If I feel ashamed by that, then all I know is he's bumping into more of my pride. Uh, He's trying to bring them to a place of humility like the widow who understood I'm on my last leg. Our view of us needs to go down so our need of rescue can go up. And in my flesh, I hate being told that. <laughs> I mean, just talk to anybody who's struggled with addiction. When you, when you challenge an addict, the first two things are denial and, and rage. Right? And anybody I know who's walked through their addiction has faced that denial and has faced that anger and has come out on the other side saying, it was worse than I understood at the time. And I needed, I needed a higher power. I needed help. And some of us in here, even though you're in Christ, he set you free, some of us in here, we're addicted to money. Because when Jesus starts messing with my money, I walk him to the cliff. I'm addicted to control. I'm addicted to beauty. I'm addicted to performance. I'm addicted to Jesus making my life work the way I want it to. And it's a great question. Maybe it's a question you can ask in your small group. Where are you walking him to the cliff? Because I I walk him to the cliff many days, many moments of many days. What's beautiful is in this story, he goes with him, you know, until he doesn't. But maybe he's letting you walk him to the cliff in your rage because he's saying, it's cool. You can be as angry as you are right now. I'm going to go with you because I want to walk you somewhere in your anger. Because you're going to have to get that angry to understand what really is going on in your heart that I've come to heal. You need to die and be raised to new birth and new life. You need to die to your ideas of me so that you can receive me as I, I reveal myself. You need to be washed like Naaman and need to be healed. And I've left and I've come to you. And this is the state of things. This is the state of you. You don't need to be ashamed because I see it all and I'm coming for you. You're dead in your sin. You're leprous. You need to be healed. I didn't come to tweak your circumstances. I came to give you life. Woo! His persistence in the face of our resistance. Last point. Two minutes. I love the end. They got up, they take him to the cliff, they go throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Like, did he crowd surf? Like, we, we don't know, right? Was this like Red Sea style? <laughs> 
It's like him saying, it's like this. It's actually an act of mercy. Um, Because he's saying, you don't get it right now, and it's okay. I'm not going to bring the hammer on you right now. I mean, we don't know, but a lot of these people may have ended up following Jesus eventually. You know, they just weren't ready to at that moment. And it's like him saying this, I'm, I'm going to let you kill me, but it's not going to be now. <laughs> it's not that I'm not here to die for you and at your hands, but not yet. Like at the end of Isaiah 61 that he quotes, he, when he says, the year of the favor of the Lord, if you keep reading in Isaiah to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it, it ends the next verse says, and a day of vengeance from our God. And Luke decides in his authorial intent to say, this is the heart of what Jesus was going after. But that passage ends like this. It talks about vengeance. And it's like Jesus is saying by what he's doing, uh, it's not time for vengeance right now because I'm here. What your hearts most deeply desire is to be in my presence and I am here with you right now. And for those of you that I came to save, that vengeance, it's never going to fall on you. It's going to fall on me. I am going to die. I am going to die for you and at your hands. But there's also a warning here, and we need to not miss it. Because he's, he's trying to wake them up to the depth of their need of him, the depth of their sin, the depth of their problem. He's saying, I'm going to the cross and, and, and my whole march to the cross, it, what else do you want me to show you? Like, do you want me to do the dog and pony show for you and make your life work exactly the way you want? Look at my cross. Look at my death and my resurrection. Do you need to know anything else about my love for you? I've come not to just bring a single year of jubilee, but eternal rest eternal favor, which is what our hearts most deeply desire and were made for. And he is committed. I will not let you live in lesser ideas of me or of you. But I'm going to bring you to the truth because the truth will set you free. And so, he's persistent in the face of our resistance. And here's the invitation this morning. We're going to sing a few songs, then we'll be done. Everybody can go home and meditate on this. I asked you, where are you walking them to the cliff? Where's he walking you? Well, where he's walking them is this. Will you repent and receive me? Like it says in Isaiah 30, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. These people are not quiet, and they're certainly not trusting. And he's saying, come on, set down your ideas of me. And pick up my truth about me and about you. Because in that place of repentance and receiving me, there's rest. There's renewal. I can't comfort you, even for the difficulty that you're going through, if you want me to comfort you in a way that I haven't promised to. In a way that's inconsistent with who I am. You see how murky it gets? He's saying, repent and receive me. And rest in me and trust in me. And the other option is I'm going to resist you and I'm going to revolt. Thankfully, he's patient, you know. 
He's like the, the prodigal father who stands on the porch and says, when you're ready to come back, I'm here. Um, come back and let me put the robe and the ring on your finger. Um, so there's Luke. There's the start. Here we go. Let's meet Jesus on his terms. And uh, thankfully, uh, he is persistent. And his love uh, is an unfailing, steadfast love for us. All right, let me pray. Lord, whew, man, thank you. Um, thank you that you don't let us live in our ideas of you that aren't true. <laughs> thank you that you love us enough to confront us like you did uh, the people in your hometown. Um, show us, Lord, the places where we need to repent and where we're imprisoned, where we need good news, where we're poor, uh, where, where we need freedom and where we're blind, Lord, because uh, I, I still have so many blind spots. Uh, thank you that you don't shame us um, in showing us that stuff, but you show us that stuff to set us free. Um, so would you do that, Lord? Even now, as we, as we sing these songs and as we meditate on this, uh, w- would you walk through our hearts with us? Um, and, and would your kindness be the thing that leads us to that place of repentance, we pray in your name. Amen.